Hey everybody and welcome to Healthy Discourse and happy 2022. It's Emily here along with Wiggy and today we are going to be talking about what everybody's talking about right now and that is health goals moving into the new year. And before you roll your eyes and think about this as another um, diet and exercise podcast with the same things you've heard over and over again, I want you to know that we're going to take a little bit of a different angle at this and talk about some labs that Dr. Wiggy feels that everybody should have and know your numbers and maybe some ways that we can improve those as well. And then we're just going to be talking about some general, very practical lifestyle tips as well. So welcome. Thank you. Yeah, I think it's it's important when we're trying to look at overall health is for people to have a good picture uh, for what their health actually is. And I think sometimes it can be confusing for uh, for people is that they say, well, you know, I've, I'm never sick, so I must be I must be healthy or, you know, my weight is this, so I must be healthy. And some people are actually pretty surprised when we start to dig into some of the numbers and some of the lab work that I think everyone should have. Uh, about how actually how healthy people actually are, mm-hmm. um, and so there are I'd say four main lab tests that I think would be important for everyone to get, and it's a great time to do it beginning of the year. So say hey, this is your baseline, this is your this is your starting point, and then as you make lifestyle changes, you can see how things how things improve. Right. Well, and just a note on that, you know, we talk about making goals, you know, making smart goals, specific, measurable, attainable, uh, realistic, and timely. And the nice thing about tracking your labs mm-hmm. is sure. it, it it does fit all that, especially if you want to do it over the course of a year. Right. It is a very measurable thing, much more, and it tells you something much more specific even than, say, a number on a scale. Sure. So. Absolutely. I th- and I think it's really helpful for people to see these numbers, uh, not only because it gives them something objective to work from, but also does give them something to shoot for. Mm-hmm. So, okay, this is where my number is now, and then I make this change, and I can see if it see if it gets better. So the first test that I think everyone should do, and this is across the board, uh, really for any any adult and even for some some kids, uh, I would recommend checking uh, what's called a hemoglobin A1C test. Mm-hmm. Hemoglobin A1C test is basically the best marker we have for long term uh, long term test to determine how much sugar is in your blood. Mm-hmm. So it helps us to determine how well you're metabolizing uh, blood sugar and how much is floating around your blood over a long period of time. Uh, it's a nice test because it does give us about an average blood sugar reading for the past three months. Okay. So if people have high, a, uh, they have a high hemoglobin A1C, then they have too high of blood sugar, uh, which is correlated with insulin resistance. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we find is that there's a lot of people that have elevated hemoglobin A1Cs, not necessarily diabetic. So this is another test that we use to determine if someone is diabetic or not. Mm -hmm. And the cutoff for people to be diabetic is a 6.5 on an A1C, Mm -hmm. but it's abnormal from a 5.7 to a Mm 6.4. So that is an abnormal reading, that's too high, it shouldn't be there. And that's called prediabetes. And so catching people in the prediabetic stage is actually the best time to catch it, because it's a lot easier to reverse it before it gets to full-blown diabetes. Right. How about even below that range, whatever you just mentioned? What, what is the pre-diabetic? So pre-diabetic 5.7 to 6.4. Okay, so let's say somebody is at like 5.5. 5. Mm-hmm. Do you begin to be concerned there? Or somewhat. do you kind of watch a trend, I would imagine? Yeah, somewhat. So, of course, 
the big picture view is that lower the better for an A1C. So we shoot for about 5.3 or less. That's kind of our, our goal for most of our patients. And so yeah, if it, if it is creeping up from 5.3 to a 5.4 to a 5.5, and we check this on almost all of our patients mm -hmm. at least once a year. So we do get a trend for which direction that's going. Yes, if it's heading the wrong direction, we do need to make changes. If it's staying consistently kind of borderline around that 5.5, 5.6 range, we still will recommend some changes. We'll recommend some different supplements mm -hmm. to use to help keep them from becoming pre-diabetic. Right. So it's all about being proactive. You don't, you don't want people to become pre-diabetic. If they're pre-diabetic, you don't want them to become diabetic. Mm -hmm. So it's all about reversing, reversing right. this, this trend. Well, and for some people, you know, a lot of with, when tackling the A1C to reduce it, a lot of that does have to do with nutrition generally, sure. but there are some people that, um, other factors can contribute to the high yes. A1C, especially, you know, that fasting blood sugar. I know some people, depending on lifestyle, stress levels, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. And this is just a side note, but that's one thing that if you do, a lot of people enjoy intermittent fasting. I know I do myself it's important to kind of know what your fasting blood sugar is as well to know when is the best time for you to fast. But that's a, another time, another topic for another day. But it is a really mm -hmm. useful um, tool to help figure that out. So um, talk about, um, <clears throat> I'll talk later about some simple changes that we can make to our everyday eating patterns to okay. um, tackle A1C. But talk about just maybe a couple of those supplements. Yeah, so the supplement I like the most for uh, blood sugar problems is berberine. That's kind of my go-to. Uh, one capsule twice a day is very effective for uh, for slowing down any sort of blood sugar increases, but it also does tend to help reverse uh, some blood sugar imbalances. So berberine I use a lot. And then there's a couple other ones. Banaba leaf is a nice uh, supplement as well. And then cinnamon mm -hmm. uh, that actually has a good, some good studies on it for controlling blood sugar uh, too. Uh, so yeah, those individually or a combination of the three, like we have in one of our Synergy products, mm -hmm. our blood sugar Synergy is a nice product because it has those three together. Right, right. Berberine is one of those magical. It does a lot of things. Herbs, is it an herb? It's a root actually. Root, yeah. right? Yeah, it really does do a lot of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's just a great, um, just overall supplement. Yeah, it works. It works really well. I like it a lot. Yeah. Okay, so that's number one, A1C. A1C. What's the next one? So the number the number two would be something that's somewhat similar to it or somewhat related to it. It's checking liver enzymes. So this is a pretty common test. Most traditional doctors will actually check this. Uh, it's called a, a CMP or complete metabolic panel, and it does include uh, liver enzymes. You can also just do liver enzymes by themselves. But what we're looking for with the uh, LFTs or the liver enzymes, we're looking to see if we're also starting to see a change in the range for them as well. So there's a there's a normal range and then there's an optimal range for the liver enzymes. We have found some people that have high liver enzymes uh, just beyond the range or those that are going up and what that usually indicates which is also an indication of insulin resistance that usually indicates fatty liver. Mm -hmm. That there is some fat deposition building up in the liver and that's causing this liver irritation and these liver enzymes to leak out into the blood. So if we're seeing those levels start to go up, then we start to also think about ways we can start to reverse that. Gotcha. <coughs> what um, what generally causes elevated liver enzymes? Well, it is similar to the A1C. So a lot okay. of times we see these go hand in hand. Uh, so a lot of times it is this insulin, insulin resistance, it's high blood sugar. Those are the, the primary drivers 
uh, of fatty liver. So controlling the blood sugar typically helps control the fatty liver too. Uh, we also tend to see that sometimes specific foods can also be really irritating uh, to the liver. Mm. Uh, so too much alcohol uh, consumption right. can definitely cause some liver irritation, can cause fatty liver. Uh, certain, uh, again, certain processed foods like high fructose corn syrup, mm -hmm. that tends to be really irritating to the liver and cause some fatty deposition. So if, if we're starting to see the same thing with, with this, is if we're starting to see the shift up, or if it is beyond the range, then that's the time we start to, to be a little more concerned. Mm -hmm. We want to start, again, trying to correct that. Gotcha. Okay. So those are the first two. Okay. First two. Number three. Number three is one that's not quite as common. This is a uh, inflammatory marker uh, that I think is very important for everyone to know how much inflammation is going on in their body uh, at any given time. And this marker is called a C-reactive protein mm -hmm. or a CRP test. Uh, this is just a generic marker for how much, again, inflammation is happening in the body. It is uh, called a cardiac CRP because it does tend to increase risk for cardiovascular disease. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the things that patients often get so concerned about. They see a high CRP and they think that they're having a cardiovascular event right then. <laughs> right. Uh, but it just means generally that they are at higher risk for it. Gotcha. So uh, with CRP, also with this one, lower the better. You want to have lower inflammation. Uh, we oftentimes will see people with uh, inflammatory markers in the 10s, 20s, 30s, so really high uh, CRP levels. And what's interesting about this, a lot of times people don't even feel it. Mm -hmm. Similar to A1Cs, they don't really feel that their blood sugar is high. Right. Uh, and you don't really feel that your inflammation markers are high necessarily. Some people do if it's related to like a joint pain mm -hmm. or some obvious source of inflammation. They'll, they'll be like, yeah, I can feel inflamed all the time. But other people like, eh, I can't even, I didn't know that I had high inflammation. So that's why it's important for people to be checking these numbers because it's not always completely obvious that right. you have these, these high numbers. But it does increase your risk for problems. Mm -hmm. I mean, all these things increase your risk for problems. Have a high blood sugar. Prediabetes increases your risk for lots of things just like diabetes does. Right. So does high inflammation. Right. High inflammation and high blood sugar, those together really are, are a bad combination. So yeah, inflammation, we really are, get more concerned with things like cardiovascular disease. That's why it's labeled cardiac CRP. Uh, so cardiovascular disease, heart attack, stroke, and also uh, cancers uh, are increased for, uh, increased for this. And then uh, you, also just, you, you also can have some joint issues and, and other things that pop up uh, when the inflammatory levels are high. Right. Well, and before we go on to the fourth one, I think that's one of the things what you're saying, people don't realize it. Mm -hmm. What I do often hear, though, is... Once these markers are improved and come under control, people will say, I never realized yeah. how bad I felt. Yeah. And now that I feel so much better, I can't believe I walked around feeling like that all the time and didn't even notice it. Yeah, no, that's, that's fair. So a lot of times we do see people where they don't notice that they're feeling bad. And then once their levels are better, like, wow, I actually, this is how I'm supposed to feel. Right. And so, yeah, it's kind of looking back, like, oh, man, sure. maybe I was feeling worse than I, than I thought. Well, and I think we live in this culture that wants to chalk everything up to age and oh i'm yeah. just getting old and i'm supposed to be tired and i'm supposed to be inflamed i'm supposed to be 20 pounds overweight mm. like this is just how it works right and that's not necessarily the case and that's why these are such great yeah. things to concentrate on as we're moving into a year if you are really wanting to get healthy figure out these markers and then figure out what you can do to help improve them and that's not just going to be taking a supplement mm, by the right. way no that's <laughs> not the only thing it's not that easy supplements are incredibly important but they definitely 
are not a substitute for lifestyle changes. So what's the fourth one? And then the fourth one is vitamin D. So vitamin D has been critically important over these past couple years, especially with the pandemic. Vitamin D levels should have been checked by every physician on every patient because it's super important for the immune system. Mm -hmm. And it's super important for controlling the immune system and make sure we don't get the cytokine storm, this inflammatory storm that happens when you, when you get sick, mm-hmm. um, especially with COVID. So vitamin D levels are really important to make sure that they're in the, in the optimal range. And this is where, this is different from traditional medicine compared to like integrative medicine. The optimal range is, is much different. Mm-hmm. So an optimal range for traditional medicine is normal range. So normal range is 30 to 100. That's kind of the normal range for vitamin D. And if you're 31, then you're great. Mm-hmm. You're perfect. Right. You know, and if you're and if you're anything beyond that, then you're you're too high, pretty much. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a kind of a weird mindset. It's almost like a lower the better mindset, but that's not that's not the case. Mm-hmm. Vitamin D, not not completely accurate saying higher the better. There is a sweet spot for vitamin D, but you do want to be in that sweet spot. Right. So for vitamin D, you want your levels at least sixty. Uh, 60 to 100 is considered to be a, a good range. Uh, some doctors kind of start freaking out when the levels go you know, above 70 or get up to 80 or 90. I've seen no problems uh, with that. I know that. mine's been way higher than oh, that. Oh, sure. Well, just going out in the sun <laughs> consistently for a couple of days straight, your levels yeah. will be about over 100 in, in no time. So it's easy to get your levels high. Uh, we do recommend, though, taking vitamin K2. Mm-hmm. Uh, with vitamin D, there's lots and lots of evidence that you have to take those two together. And what K2 does, it helps protect you from getting too much D. So there is that synergistic effect and a kind of that buffering and, and counterbalancing effect of the D3 and the K2. So whenever you're taking higher doses, you do we should you should be taking those two together. But yeah, most people are way underdosed mm-hmm. on vitamin D. We see a lot of people come in, their vitamin D levels are 31, and they're told that they're great, and they're taking a thousand IUs of vitamin D a day. Mm. And it's just nowhere near what they what they should be. Uh, it's actually one of the better predictors for how well you're going to do with COVID. Mm-hmm. Is how well your vitamin D how well your, well your vitamin D level is. So yeah, we want your level higher. It is important to take it with the K2. But yeah, you don't want to be shooting just for the bottom of the range. Right. Well, and you know, in in looking at all of these, well, as far as COVID goes, I believe that the research showed in several studies that a vitamin D level over 50 decrease mm-hmm. your risk of a poor outcome by 80%. Uh, there's different studies out there. Some show a really high uh, predictive value for lowering lowering bad outcomes. Others show a less uh, significant outcome. But regardless of how significant it is, it's just it, we know it helps. Mm-hmm. It's, it's more than safe. It helps other things as well. And that's even if we're kind of through the pandemic, which hopefully you know we will be at some point, especially if uh, Omicron is kind of looking the way that that it is and we may want to talk more about that at some point uh but vitamin d also helps you know helps your brain it helps your uh, helps your bones mm-hmm. helps protect you from losing uh, bone mass uh, when you combine it with k2 not only is it protected for the bones but also protected for the cardiovascular system mm-hmm. so there's so many benefits uh, of vitamin d with k2 so i just think most people should know what their levels are and they should be optimizing those levels so here's the interesting thing um when we're talking about COVID in particular, the three primary comorbidities are what? Uh, three primary ones are uh, obesity, uh, high blood sugar, diabetes primarily, especially uncontrolled diabetes, mm-hmm. and then uncontrolled uh, hypertension, mm-hmm. high blood pressure. Those are the three primary comorbidities. Right. Now, would you say that these tests that we're talking about today... Um, 
had we been paying attention to those numbers at the very beginning of the pandemic. And let's say that instead of everyone staying in their house and locking everything down, that we said, you know what, you need to get to see your doctor. You need to test these four things. Probably there's a few mm-hmm. more that we would add in there, right? Yeah. You need to test these few things. We need to make sure that, you know, you're making these lifestyle changes, getting as healthy as you possibly can, mm-hmm. instead of telling everyone to stay at home, watch Netflix, eat food, wear a mask, not talk to anyone that they love, let their mental health suffer, yeah. you know, get laid off from their job and so forth. Um, I just wonder, you know, and I've talked about this in previous episodes, what if we had gone around handing out vitamin D and K2 to people instead of, you know, what if we had clinics for that where you can just come pick up your vitamin D and K2? And I know that we can't go backward, but I think the thing is um, there's we can learn a lot from every season of life. I mean, I think everyone that's lived through COVID is certainly never going to forget it. Yeah. Um, who knows what might happen next or not? We don't know that, but... I think there's a lot to be learned to think about the health, especially of our nation and the things that we really can do. Mm-hmm. And I'm still really saddened that so few people, even with vitamin D, even with what we know about it, yeah. have discussed that. And and that's not even that hard. That doesn't even take lifestyle changes right. generally. Yeah. You know, yes, yeah. go outside more, but you really can take a pill for that and it can be really helpful. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's important for all of us to think individually and collectively in our communities, what are we doing to help prepare ourselves individually and collectively for the next time something like this happens or any other individual incident that we may, any sickness, any flu, any other thing that we might not be prepared for, um, you know, because our health status is just not, our immune system, our body is just not able to fight off maybe what it should be able to if everything was optimized. Yeah, I mean, I think with these things that we're talking about, we're just trying to help people truly understand how prepared they are for whatever is coming next. Mm -hmm. So no, this is not a a complete uh, workup, you know, that we would do necessarily in the the practice, but it's a good start. Mm -hmm. And and this is pretty standard stuff, Mm -hmm. you know. So this is, I wouldn't think uh, most doctors would would really push back a lot uh, on these tests I mean, some some probably would with like the A1C or the CRP if they don't feel like there's a good indication to do so. But mm-hmm. again, it's pretty standard testing, so there's nothing particularly special uh, about this. But it does give us a good picture about how prepared you are, because really, for whatever comes, mm-hmm. whether it is you know a different virus or some other health insult is going to you know come down the the, the pipe that we have no idea mm-hmm. uh, what it's going to do to us. You just want to be as healthy as you possibly can. And that's really for anything that comes that, that you're confronted with, but especially an infection. Mm-hmm. You want to be as healthy as you possibly can. And the other thing is that it doesn't take that long to make significant changes. Right. So for, you know, yes, we've been dealing with this pandemic for years. If right away when this started, we say, hey, these are the, the biggest comorbidities. Let's start working on, on these right away. Let's get your you know, sugar level under control. Let's get your blood pressure under control. Let's get your inflammation under control. Let's get your vitamin D level up. Mm-hmm. If we did all those things, then you can make significant changes in mm-hmm. three months. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to even necessarily see a huge drop in weight. 
right. to see your A1C come down significantly. Right. You don't, you know, you don't have to, to spend forever, you know, working out to get, you know, your fatty liver under control. Mm -hmm. These things you actually can, can change in a matter of months. You can see significant changes, especially if it's not severe. Right. And so, yes, if everyone was doing that, and that's what we did throughout the pandemic, which I think was probably a, a good reason why our patients have still fared so well, mm -hmm. even through Delta. Right. They've done well. We have still had hospitalizations. We've had some, you know, some patients that have been hit hard uh, with COVID, but no one's died still. Mm -hmm. And everyone still has overall done really well. And so, and we've treated a lot of people. Right. So I, that's, you know, the important thing is just to know that there are things you can do. It also gives people a sense of control to some degree. There are things you can do. It doesn't take a whole lot of time uh, to do it. It does take a commitment to do it, mm -hmm. uh, but it can be done by just about anybody. Right. Well, and so let's go ahead and transition then into what can be done as far as, okay, out, we, we've got supplements that we can take. Obviously, medication has a role in some of these things um, if needed. Um, I know that you've helped many people get off of medications mm -hmm. for um, blood sugar and hypertension and so many other things. Um, and, and much of that does have to do with lifestyle and we live in America where we are immediate gratification kind of folks. We want to eat one salad, one healthy meal, or maybe it's one week and see immediate results. And unfortunately, that's not how this works. Like you said, you can see changes with, with in these numbers mm -hmm. relatively mm -hmm. quickly. So that's important. But we are really bad at sticking with things in general. And so um, I think the thing that people need to realize the most is making one change one impactful change at a time that's something that is uh sustainable something that's not that hard mm -hmm. something as simple as um you know cutting out soda or limiting it significantly obviously everyone's starting from a different place mm -hmm. so you know just it's gone i'm gonna drink water instead or find something that for example like a Zevia beverage or that kind of thing that can be a good replacement and there's lots of different things like that we don't want to start in introducing artificial sweeteners they're not they're not awesome so um we don't not going to switch from regular to diet although that might be a stepping stone for some people so it really matters where you start and how can you make tomorrow one percent better than today and the trajectory of that is pretty impactful when you do it over time and we get so, I think, overwhelmed by trying to do so much at once that we end up just quitting it all because mm -hmm. we try to start doing 10 things differently. Another tip that seems to work really well for people, especially when it comes to nutrition changes, is to replace rather than restrict. Replace rather than restrict. So what I mean by that is instead of all the white knuckling and saying, I'm not going to eat, you know candy at night or I'm not going to go to my pantry after dinner. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not in this kind of white knuckling to think instead, how can I replace this unhealthy habit with a healthier habit? So that might be a swap from what you get out of your pantry. And it, yes, it's going to take a little bit of work to make sure that you go to the grocery store and you have what those things are. It may be that, you know, yes, you on purpose set a time that you do stop going to the pantry if that's not working out for you and you're not reaching for 
the best options at 9 p.m. at night. And I'm, not very many people are, by the way. <laughs> so, um, you know, like a good example that we like to use if you've got a nighttime sweet craving, like I generally do. I have kind of two options. I have these little chocolates that I love that are single serving. And so they're, you're not just, I'm not just digging into the chocolate wigginess as well. We sit down at night and I have my little single serving chocolate. Or um, the Mom Sanity Crave makes a lovely hot cocoa that you can sit and, and sip on, satisfying your sweet cravings without this huge blood sugar impact um, and so forth. And I think the other thing is, we're as Americans, we're very um, not well-versed in nutrition in general, and we don't understand how many things that we eat very quickly break down into sugar in our bodies. And so one, I'll leave you guys with a rule. This is a label reading rule when you go to the grocery store for any multiple ingredient types of things. So this would be like granola bars, protein bars, any kind of packaged food that's making health claims to you. Um, we're really good at, well, this actually happened in our, in our, at our family Christmas, right? So my mom got our kids these giant bags of Welch's, what are they, like fruit snacks or whatever. And we, several of our kids don't do well on artificial colors and we, a couple of them really don't. And mm -hmm. none of them do. They're, they kind of make kids crazy in general, in case you didn't know that. So, um, I'm like, mom, you know, that that has like all the reds and yellows and blues in it. And she was like, oh, it says all natural on the front. I thought that meant that they use natural colors. <laughs> so we have to pay attention to the back of the labels because the front, yeah. you can literally say whatever you want. And um, so this is just a great rule. So number one, it is good to look and see, is there, are there a bunch of words on here I don't understand? And to look and see, so this is your label reading rule. You're going to take the total grams of carbohydrates and you're going to subtract the total grams of protein and you're going to subtract the total grams of fiber because those are the two things that are going to be a buffer to how much is this going to spike my blood sugar. And you want that number to be less than or equal to 10. And so Sadly, there are a lot of really good sounding looking protein bars and granola bars and high fiber this and this great, you know, whole grain cereal that unfortunately are not going to pass the test. And so those things don't usually leave us satisfied for very long and they spike our blood sugar. So they're really just not doing a whole lot for us from a nutritional basis. So um, I'm hoping to jump on with my friend Jane again to talk about goal setting and um, some of the things that we have found really work well, especially for women who are wanting to get in the right mindset to make long-term changes. But just wanted to give you guys a couple of tips that sort of, that, that directly um, that correlate with some of the things that we talked about today, especially that A1C. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, I think for what I've seen uh, for, for a lot of my patients that the, the first step uh, literally and figuratively that helps them kind of get, get going towards a healthier healthier lifestyle and it seems to help people stick to things better is actually just walking mm -hmm. uh, i've seen that in so many people as long as they're walking consistently they tend to their numbers improve right uh, and then they tend to start wanting to make better You're right better dietary choices too and so it's almost like the movement correlates with better nutrition it kind of is a is that uh beneficial cycle 
And so that's one thing that I would encourage people to, to do is just to start walking. Right. Even if it's just a thousand steps a day, just to start start moving mm-hmm. your body because we are we're definitely made to move. And then work your way up. I think you know shooting for the ten thousand steps a day is is a great is a great goal. Right. Uh, and I think most people will will notice that once you start doing that, they'll they'll feel better overall. Uh, of course, there's some you know uh, exclusions to that, but once they start feeling better, they they also start want to eat better too. Yeah, there's something about that rhythmic movement, and you know there's lots of research around what we call leisure walking. So we're not talking about going out no, and power walking. walking yeah, yeah. Wei and I watched the international power walking championships when we were in somewhere really odd. I'm not sure, in Belgium or something. No, it was in Poland. It was in Krakow, Poland. This was right after we graduated college. And I've never seen anything like that in my life. I didn't know people could walk no, that fast. No, we're talking about leisurely walking. <laughs> yeah, that tends to help. Another thing that I think tends to tends to be beneficial, and this is um, this is where it, this is fairly easy to do. I mean, I do think supplements have a role. Oh, sure. You know, I think that, yes, lifestyle is the primary driver here, and that makes the biggest difference for most patients. But until you start making those consistent lifestyle changes, I think supplements do play a role and they do mm-hmm. tend to help uh, stabilize things in the meantime. Well, I, I do think that they kind of, um, it, it, they work synergistically too. Yeah, for So sure. a lot of times the supplements will help give us that energy boost or whatever that can help us, you know, or that brain clarity or whatever that helps us be more intentional in making our grocery list or getting up and going on that walk and that yeah. kind of thing. So yeah, so I mean, I think I think some of our synergy products that helps it ought to be actually are are formulated really really nicely for these specific conditions. Mm-hmm. Our blood sugar synergy is great for blood sugar. Our inflammation synergy is really good for uh, inflammation, mm-hmm. uh, and then our vitamin D and K I think is dosed appropriately uh, compared to most things that are out there. So I would yeah encourage people if especially after checking the numbers and the mm-hmm. numbers are off to consider you know adding in some some supplements to help kind of sure in the meantime well and and I think that's talking about supplements just highlighting that um, supplements are not all made the same just like just about anything else and in a lot of ways you do get what you pay for now there mm-hmm. are some super overpriced supplements out there I would argue yeah, as sure. well. But you do not want to go to a big box store for your supplements. That's generally wasting your money. And, you know, they're full of fillers. They don't increase levels generally the way that I know, you know, in a place like Wiggy's Practice where they're taking blood all the Mm -hmm. time, you can kind of tell if it's working or not, you know. And so... That's one of the reasons that he, he and we started making our own is because other things weren't working the way that they should. And so that's a, a, an important thing, you know, going out to, you know, the big box store and just filling your cart with a bunch of supplements might not be ideal and we don't want you wasting your money either. And so, um, figuring out what can be some good options is a great thing to do. And that's one of the reasons that we started making supplements too, is to help take that guesswork out for patients and, and customers so that you're not having to, figure it out for yourself because it's really hard. It's hard for me. I know when I'm looking for a probiotic for our kids still because we don't make one yet. I'm like, um, I don't, mm-hmm. I, are you telling me the truth? Like, I don't really know. So, um, that, that's just another important thing is quality really does matter when it comes to supplements, just like it matters when it comes to your food, you sure. know, what you're putting in your body to help it be optimized matters. And it, it's worth that investment. Um, of not necessarily not buying the cheapest thing because that doesn't usually work. So yeah, we've trailed off a little bit here kind of on what we were originally talking about, but I just wanted to summarize what we kind of had 
brought up initially, just so you guys, in case you, you kind of lost, lost <laughs> us there. Uh, but four tests, so hemoglobin A1C, uh, liver enzymes, uh, CRP, and vitamin D. Mm -hmm. Those would be the four ones that I would recommend everyone to check, and it's a great time to do it. If you, if you don't have a doctor, get established. Get plugged in. We'd be happy to see you at Robinhood Integrative Health. If you want us, to, if you want us to run the test, we will, of course, be happy to run them for you. If you have a doctor that you like that is willing to work with you, then I'd recommend having them run these tests, and then uh, and somewhat, I mean, not challenge them, but make sure that they really know how to interpret these tests accurate, uh, appropriately, uh, where these levels should be optimized, not just not just normal. That's that's that is a key difference here. We're not just shooting for normal; we're shooting for optimal. Right, right, and I think that idea of getting out and moving on a daily basis and then when you're shopping for your food using that label reading rule it's so simple to do and it takes the guesswork the overwhelm out of trying to eat healthier food and again that's it that's the total carbohydrates minus total grams of protein minus total grams of fiber should be less than or equal to 10 and that's for multiple ingredient packaged foods awesome. Well, happy new year to you again. We'll be back with more healthy living episodes coming soon. If you've got anything that you would like for us to dive into on the podcast, let us know and we will do our best to cover those topics. Happy 2022.